0: Welcome to the Let's Get Into It coaching podcast. My name is Joanne McMillan from joanne.ie and I'm delighted that you have joined me. Each of the episodes are filled with coaching and lessons on how to tune into our intuition, how to become more intuitively aware and how to use our intuition as a guide in our daily life. I'm so excited to get started. So let's get into it. well good morning everybody it's morning here at the moment and i want to say a very big welcome to graham frost you are going to love his story absolutely and um, i don't even know if if graham really um, identifies as an entrepreneur i certainly see him as one <laughs> <laughs> he's very much has an entrepreneur mind and i'm delighted to welcome him today and i'm not going to do a mess of introductions because as Graham tells his story, I would leave him kind of introducing himself. But just to start off, Graham has has had an amazing life, a very interesting life story. And at the moment is working as an inspirational speaker and he's entering the world of coaching as well, if I remember correctly, from yeah. our last conversation. Yeah. So um he wrote a book as well called Heart Shaped Decisions. And I am going to link that in our show notes for today. And it's well worth a read. It's the more in-depth story of Graham's story and where he came across Heart Shaped Decisions. But without further ado, um, welcome, Graham. I am delighted to have you here today. And certainly I would love people to, to hear your story because before the age of 25, You have gone through more than a lot of people have gone through in a lifetime, and I would, yeah, I'm gonna leave it to you to tell us (laughs) more about your story. So thank you so much for being here today.
1: Okay, thank you very much for inviting me. And um, yeah, we were just connected by a mutual connection, weren't we? Uh, About a week and a half ago, I think, and just gone from there. And just had this lovely conversation the other day, and here we are having a continuation of it so that's that's lovely but so I'm I'm actually a yeah I am a professional speaker that's what I do so it's been a difficult uh last year or so for me because obviously the professional speaking world has been to all intents and purposes not happening very much but um so what I talk about and I am I should I should say that I am quite a lot older than 25 now um I'm not so. So I've had, I've had a lot of a lot of lived experience, all sorts of different things. But my original story that I talk about is um, about being brought up in a very very strict church, and um, in in actually in England. And um, there's about the church I was brought up in. I don't mention the name of it because they don't like they don't like publicity. Surprise, surprise. Um, but there's about forty-five thousand of them around the world, and um, my family, my both my parents were born into it, so they've never known it, they never knew any different to it. But it was very strict in as much as we had no radio, television, recorded music. Um, I wasn't allowed to be friends with people at school that I, you know, apart. So all my all my social um, activity as a child. with other members of the church and luckily in some ways i had i came from quite a large family extended family so you know we were allowed to spend time with our families but not really anybody outside of the church and it has actually got a lot stricter in in recent years because a a lot of my family are still involved in it and um my you know my 90 year old father has been in it all his life um and um because it's very difficult to leave. Because so I got, I got to the age of seventeen, and a few things happened in childhood when you know I questioned. I used to question. I still, I still am very much a questioner. You know why? So why does it have to be like that? You know, very much. If somebody says to me, "You've got to do this," I always say, "Why?" And if you can't, if you haven't got, you better have a good explanation. <laughs> and they didn't, My dad just said, "You know, it's always because I said so." And that wasn't good enough for me.
2: yeah
1: and um, you know it was about what the leader of the church said, and I wasn't. you know I was particularly enamored of those. So what happened was that um, there was well, there was two big events, really, I suppose. when I look back, nine years old, uh, I used to walk to school with a girl from the bottom of our road, and um, she wasn't part of the church, and she was a nice girl named Stephanie, and I'd often tell the story. And we've probably been walking to school together for two or three weeks. And um, nobody said that I couldn't do it. I I don't know if my parents even knew that I was walking to school with her. And um, one day she said to me, Graham, would you like to come round to my house for tea one night? And I said, yes, I would. I said, but I don't know if I'll be allowed to. I started to ask my parents, and of course, I asked my parents, and they said, "No, you know, you can't eat." We weren't allowed to eat or drink with people who weren't in our church, which is, you know, there's. I can't see any logical reason for that apart from controlling people. Yes. And so um, I had to go back to her the next day. So I'm really sorry but I can't come. You know, my parents won't let me come. And the thing was that she thought that I thought that there was something wrong with her. Yeah, and she didn't want to be my. She didn't. She kind of backed away from me. Yeah. And I thought, mm, is this what life's going to be like? You know, the whole of my life. The people. If I meet somebody that I like, I'm not going to be able to be with them unless I'm, unless they're part of the church. So I don't. You know, I want. To, I want to have some freedom, even at that age. You know. And then when I was eleven, I did actually make a friend. I went. To, by this time, I'd gone to secondary school. My first year of secondary school, I did actually make a friend um, at school because I went to a school that's quite a long way from where my family lived. And uh, I was kind of, I had a bit of freedom because there were no other members of the church going to that school. So I thought, oh, you know, I can can rebel a little bit here. And this new friend of mine and I decided one day we were going to go off into town on our bikes. And we we ended up stealing some pick and mix from Woolworths. Yeah, probably. I don't know if you can remember Woolworths, and then we don't have Woolworths anymore. But um, we have like, we have pound shops and places like that, which is similar. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of people will actually say to you that people, adults, that can, yeah, you know, everybody used to steal pick and mix out of Woolworths. But I actually got caught for it. I got I got arrested. Wow. At the age of eleven and my friend and i from school got arrested of course her his parents blamed me and my parents blamed him and all that and it was big. And of course the church was absolutely outraged and i had to go to i had to go to court and everything you know and it was um which probably wouldn't happen if an 11 year old got caught stealing from a shop now that probably that process probably wouldn't happen nowadays but this was in the this was in the 1960s yeah and um but what happened then was that uh, I used to spend a lot of time with my cousins who lived about a mile and a half away from us. I used to be around there all the time. And my aunt said, my aunt, my dad's sister, said to her boys, she said, I don't think you should invite Graham around anymore because he's a bad influence.
3: Oof.
1: And uh, Imagine somebody saying that about you when
3: you're
1: 11. Wow. And all, all I was looking for was. You know, something to belong to. There was very little. You know, I've, I've talked about this quite a lot recently, but there, there was very little love. Yes. In the church, it was all about if you followed the rules, you would go to heaven when you died, and that was that was all that mattered. Wow. And nobody was really. You know, I could, you know my brothers and I. My brothers have both left in comparatively recent years, and I've sort of been reunited and they both. we've had lots of conversations about this so we said there's absolutely no love in our family i could never remember our parents hugging us or anything like that which has made me into a really huggy person (laughs)
3: Great.
1: um you know i'm the complete i kind of but so anyway that happened and then then we moved to london when i was um when i was about 12 12 and a half we moved to london because my dad got a job in london so we decided we decided to move to and I went to a much bigger school, multicultural. You know, lived in the East End of London, a big city, lots of different people. It was very multicultural even then. And um, I thought, oh, I like this. You know, I like this sort of. I want to be. In, I want to be in that world, not the world that I'm. I'm being prepared for. I want to be out in that world. So, long story short, I actually left home mm. at the age of seventeen, and um, I had to leave. And I knew, that by, I knew that by doing that, you know, I, I was cutting myself off from my family because I knew they, they wouldn't be allowed to have anything to do with me. Um, so, you know, I, I remember walking, when I do my talks, I talk about walking down the road from my parents' house with my belongings in six plastic carrier bags, both my parents walking behind me, and they were both in tears. I'd never seen my dad cry before, and... After that day, I never saw my mother for 27 years. Oh, wow. Um, and when my mother did see me the next time after 27 years, she didn't recognize me. <gasps> she said, who's that? And my dad had to say, that's Graham. But we did, yeah, we did eventually have um, a sort of partial reconciliation. My mother passed away in 2017. And, we, you know, I had been to see her quite a lot in the years in her older years and um we developed you know we, we did. De- I know that I know that she was proud of me I know that she loved to see me towards the end of her life
3: oh what was that
0: like oh
1: it was very emotional I mean the first time I went to see them um, they they invited me to go they invited me to go and see them in I think it was 2001 because they were having a, a they had a new leader in the church and the new leader said I want you to reach out to all the members of your family that have left us and see if they, uh, and see if you can bring them back into the fold. Wow. So my dad, my dad rang me out, out of the blue one Friday night, I just got home from work and the phone rang, you know, when we used to use house phones all the time, and uh, and uh, it was my dad and he said oh hello how are you and I was like I'm very well thanks and I said I said what's happened I thought something had happened he was ringing this could be bad news or something but he said no so I just want to uh, we'd very much like you to come and see us I was like "I am I hearing things you know and then um, because I've never had this since since 1973. Wow so I, I did go the following weekend, I went down to London where they were living then and I saw them and um, I thought, you know, I actually went at the end, we had a conversation and it was, I, said, I said, I said, I have to make it clear that there's absolutely no way I'm coming back. Yes. And that is completely out of the question. That is not going to happen. I'm happy as I am. I've got a good life. I've got, you know, I, I had a, I was a good job at the time and nothing and another. had a good social life. Everything's going okay. And I said, but I said I would like, I would like us to have some sort of relationship.
2: Yes. And I said,
1: before I go, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that I, I'm going to give you both a hug. And it was like hugging two pieces of wood, oh. because they weren't used to that kind of expression of affection. Wow. Um, so anyway, so yeah, that. But then I'm, I'm jumping ahead of the game a bit. So oh, what? That's okay. <laughs> What then happened was uh, I left home at 17. I went to work in a, in a pub in, uh, in London. One of the, It turned out to be one of the roughest pubs in West London. There was a lot of fighting there. There was actually people who used to come in there with knives and guns in the, this is the early 1970s. And I didn't, you know, I was like, it was complete shock. And I, and I, I actually got involved with a, a guy who was um, a, a petty criminal. I thought it would be fun to get involved with petty crime for a while and um, eventually i ended up in a young offenders by so the time i was 19 i found myself in a young offenders institution uh, so i achieved my freedom mm. and then lost it again and you were locked up then locked up i was in there for a year and one of one of the officers in there said to me um he sat me down one day and he said, Frosty, he said, you're not a criminal. What are you doing here? What are you doing with your life, you know? He said, you've got more about you than some of the other lads that I see coming in here. He said, you, you know, you, you've got no need to be a criminal because you're an intelligent, intelligent lad. I was 19 at the time. I had the 20th birthday while I was in there. And um, I came out and very, very fortunately, I know you live in County Clare and um, my connection with County Clare is the people who looked after me at that time in my life. We spoke about this when we had a conversation the other day, but they are you know, John and Pauline Deveron was their name. And uh, Pauline is still alive, John isn't. And they, they took me in and gave me a job in their pub when they didn't know anything about me. And then when I when I came out of still and I came out of the Young Offences Institution, they took me back. So I had something to do. I don't know what would have happened to me if it hadn't been for them. Well,
0: and do
2: you I,
1: know, actually, sudden...
0: I have a question there for you. It's like, what was it like to truly be seen? First by John and Pauline, they really saw the true you. And then by this, I don't know, what do you call them? The, yeah, the, the uh, yeah, so they, he really saw you too. I, I'm wondering what was that like for you to be truly seen.
1: Um, interesting. Yeah, it was. I mean, I didn't—I didn't realize how important it was at the time. When I got when I got the job with John Pauling, I had. Um, I hope that, I hope somebody ends up listening to this that knows that knows important. New John Pauline because yeah. they were quite well known in County Clare because yeah. um, they retired back there when they gave up their, their pub oh, business in, in, in London. But um, they actually had a pub they had a pub in a village in County Clare for a little while as well. But um, they the story of that little situation goes. I had actually I had actually spent the night sleeping on the railway station in London. I, I was homeless. Mm. I thought to myself what am I going to do I thought I don't I don't want to be a homeless person I don't want to be sleeping on Victoria Station for another night Yes. um because it's not a very nice experience I don't recommend it you know and I've, I've actually worked with homeless people quite a bit over the years but um people are not homeless by most people are not deliberately homeless Put it that way Yes. I had no, I had no option that night but to sleep on Victoria Station, and I got up in the morning and I walked down Victoria Street towards the Houses of Parliament. I don't know if you know London at all, but it's, uh, it's a walk I've done many times since I've walked down that road. I've been, I've been in the I've been around that area because it's so much history for me from those days and. Um, the first so i thought i'm going to just walk into every pub and ask me if they've got any jobs now you can you imagine me with long hair <laughs> and a drooping mustache and, a moustache. and in all probability i was wearing um, what we used to call oxford bags trousers which are very uh, like flared trousers and probably platform shoes because that was the fashion in those days and probably almost certain that's what i was wearing And I I, I haven't actually, I've slept on a station. So I'm walking into pubs having not showered or shaved or anything like that. And um, the first pub I went into, they they more or less kicked me out. The second pub I went into was another Irishman and he said, I haven't got any jobs," he said. But "If you go, if you go to round that corner there and down that little street there, he said, you'll see a pub down the end of there. He said the landlord's name's John. I think he's looking for somebody. Sure enough, I went in there, asked for John, and within two or three minutes, he'd actually given me a job and a place to live, yeah. just like that. Wow. Um, and you know, it's one of the, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big turning point in my life. Because what would have happened to me if that if I had not got a job that day? Yes. I don't know. So what Somebody do you got... think?
0: What do you think did John see? Because like like you're describing your outer appearance would have uh, put people off.
1: I think he saw. I think he saw himself as a younger man. Okay. Because he was he was brought up in he was brought up in an, I understand that he was brought up in an orphanage, oh. and he didn't he didn't have anybody. He came to London. He came to London on his own in search of work, and he made something of himself. And over the years, he helped. He helped a lot of other people to do that. And I was just one of the people he helped.
0: Yeah. How amazing! So
1: um,
0: there was a heart connection there.
1: it Well, you... I think yeah. Some, you know, I think sometimes in life you need somebody else to make a heart shape decision for you. Yes. Yes. And I think he did that. I think you know, looking back on it now, I mean, I, would, I didn't haven't come up with the whole idea of heart-shaped decision. But you know, the heart-shaped decision was was um, so I, leaving my family was a heart-shaped decision. It probably took me about seven or eight years to make that decision, but it was purely based on feelings. Yes. It, it felt it felt bad. But I, the part was being dragged down by my family felt bad. Mm. And I often say that I didn't, I didn't know what I wanted when I was seventeen, but I knew what I didn't want.
3: Yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> um, you know, it took me a long time to work out what I did want, and lots of things have happened to me without really planning. Yeah. So anyway, I came, I came out of the Young Offenders Institution. I went back to work for John Pauling for probably about two, two and a half years, uh, quite a long time, and um, in the end. I got my own little because I was living above their pub and in the end I got my, my own little bed set and carried on working for them from there. And then I said, oh, you know, I probably need to, I probably need to get away from I need to stand, I need to sort of stand on my own two feet a bit, you know. So I went and got a job somewhere else where I then met my first proper girlfriend. Right. And and we got together and um she said to me, why well, don't you get yourself a proper job? Yes. Uh, so this is when I was 21, probably 21, 22. I've got a, pro- I've got a job on the railway, where I ended up working for 24 years altogether.
3: Amazing.
1: And um, but you know, mostly enjoyed that job. You know, there was obviously you never enjoy a job 100%, but I had very good memories of it. And then what happened? Six months into Working on the road. Everything's going fine. I thought life couldn't be better. I've got somebody I really enjoyed being with. Yeah, we were really happy together. Um, things were going really well. We yeah, I thought, you know, I thought I was gonna be with her for the rest of my life. I thought this is it, you know, this is the this is the thing. And um, I got diagnosed with testicular cancer at the age of twenty-two.
3: Oh my goodness.
1: Just like that. And um, so I felt, you know, I felt a little bit um, under the weather and, you know, for a young lad, I was falling asleep a lot, I was losing weight and, like most men, I don't like going to the doctors and, you know, I would say to anybody listening to this, you know, you have to check that area of your body regularly because I didn't even know when I was in my early... I didn't know you could get testicular cancer. No.
2: Like
1: no, I've never heard of it, you know, when I so eventually, she persuaded me to. Yeah, you know, she she actually took me to the uh, casualty department in the in hospital, St George's Hospital, famous hospital in South London, and um, I went in to see the I went in to see the doctor, and the doctor looked at me and examined me, and then somebody else came and looked at me, and somebody else came and looked at me, and I was like, hmm, "What's yeah. going on here?" And then they said, they said. Um, Oh, Mr. Frost, have you got anybody with you? And I said, yes. I said, my girlfriend's out in the waiting room. I said, she's got the bubbly blonde hair, quite attractive, you know, and um, so they brought her in and she was looking very concerned, as you might imagine. And um, they said, Mr. Frost, um, I'm sorry to tell you, you actually got a tumour on your testicle and uh, we've got to remove it. We've got to, we've got to do it. But, very we've got to do it so what you've got to do is you've got to, this is on a saturday you've got to go home and tomorrow we want you to come back and you've got to be ready to stay in hospital for a week at least mm. and on monday we're going to they're going to operate to remove the tumor unfortunately we're going to have to take the testicle away as well wow um so i was like oh my, you know this is like complete you know oh my god yeah and then we're very lucky you know in this country to have the national health service because you actually know that I kind of knew everything was going to be okay. I thought, I'm just focusing on looking into the future. I thought, I didn't know at that point that I was going to have to have chemotherapy, radiotherapy. Um, I, didn't, I didn't know what the next year had in store for me. Yeah. So, um, but I kind of just focused on, well, you know, I, I, want, I want life to get back to how it was two days ago before I knew this. Yes, and I focused on that, you know. And you, no, you can't, you can't cure cancer with positive thinking. But some people do give up. Yes, I I, I, I hear
3: you.
0: Yeah, yes. Yeah, and so. I
1: didn't. You, you know, I've been told somebody. Well, I did a talk once, and somebody came up to me afterwards and said, "You've just told people that they can cure cancer with positive thinking." I said, oh. "No, I haven't done that." I said but it's part of the recipe.
3: Yes,
0: absolutely. You have
1: to You have to, be, you have to believe that it's going to work. That it's going to work.
0: I hear you. Absolutely, I totally
1: agree. The power. So, it, a, that, yeah, that was another heart straight decision. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. So that, yeah. So then, you know, I, I went through. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. I mean, a, a good friend of mine died of cancer last December, and he went. You know, he had sarcoma, which is a really, really rare and um actually incurable form of cancer, and he. You know, he, had, he lost a leg and he you know he became from from the a 50 a 51 year old um fit man who had a good job and you know, his whole fantastic life with his wife and everything he went he went from that to you know in less than two years um it took it took him uh, last december wow um and he no nobody could have fought harder than he did but it just unfortunately i haven't found a cure for that particular type of cancer yet Mm. so um anyway so i I came i came out of that experience of what yeah one i had chemotherapy at one point i actually weighed seven stone because it you know very debilitating treatment and i nearly died of pleurisy at the end of it and you know it was really scary but I've just focused on yeah I know but I'm gonna I'm gonna get my life back I want you know, my life I am gonna get my life back and um, I did and unfortunately my girlfriend then decided after about six months into my recovery she decided that she couldn't be with me anymore because she she couldn't go through that again and I said well you probably won't have to but anyway she she made the decision unfortunately we we um, you know we we split up. And um, it was very, that was very traumatic, because it was the thought of being with her that it kept me going. And now she's, oh, she God. she's gone, you know. I so okay, that. I thought, well, I'm going to have to start again. You know, I think the great thing about life is sometimes, you know, sometimes you you've lots of opportunities for fresh starts.
0: Yes, a reset. <laughs>
1: yeah, you know, you can have a reset every day if you want to. You know, you have to put, put you know, put tomorrow. Put, sorry. Put yesterday behind you, because you actually can't. I will say to people, you, you can't do anything about what happened yesterday. That's you can true. learn the lessons from yesterday, but don't dwell in the past.
0: That's true, absolutely.
1: You know, I so I try not to dwell. I have some. I dwell in my happy memories mm. sometimes quite a lot. But I don't. I try not to dwell in the sad memories because it brings you down. Yeah. And yeah. so. Anyway, you know, life has turned out, life has turned out okay. You know, it's, I'm in a very good place at the minute. But um, you know, I had, you know, I, I mean, sometimes you have to make a heart-shaped decision to do something, and you know, sometimes you make a heart-shaped decision not to do something.
3: Yes, absolutely.
1: Uh, so you know, I, I then after a few years, of little, so I had, you know, I had a good life. I went on holiday a lot. Bought my own, bought my own flat. Obviously, you know, I was i suppose i was very wary about getting involved with anybody again but i was as i suppose about it and then then i, I did eventually get married in my in my mid-30s for totally all the wrong reasons right and um, it was a, it was a um it was not a heart-shaped decision to get married it was, my heart was telling me not to do it uh, but i still I, I thought well you know i can't i can't stay on my own all my life and, People were saying to me uh, people that knew me knew that this person wasn't the right person for me, but mm. I went ahead and did it anyway.
0: So you made the decision out of fear.
1: Um, yeah, quite possibly. But I thought, um, yeah, I thought, well, I, you know, I've got to get married sometime. And this person needs me. That's what it was. Right. I was. I used. To, I was in rescue mode. Right, My goodness. Um, but you know, all, I mean, all all good things. Sometimes good things come out of bad things.
0: Yes, absolutely. Because we choose to. Sorry? <laughs> if we choose to see the well, good yes, what
1: happened, you know, I had I had this very uh, very difficult um marriage. You know, we never really got on almost from, almost as soon as I mean we got on reasonably well before we got married, but then when we actually got married it went downhill really quickly. Um and you know and so you know eventually after about 4 years of being married i i actually accidentally stumbled upon some counseling oh because my wife my ex-wife actually got to we both used to work in the same place and she was um, she had she had a lot of a lot of uh, mental health issues what, you know that, that sort of thing wasn't talked about even back in the mid '90s, and the way it's yes. not it, like, talked about as openly anyway as it is now. And she, uh, she had, she had a lot of adverse childhood experiences and things like that. And I knew all about that, so I, I kind of, all, I said, look, you're, allowed, you're allowing your life to be defined by that. And you know, I said, I said I had adverse childhood experiences to a certain extent, but well, we didn't call it that then. But I said then. I said, I've tried not to let it define my life. Mm. Anyway, so she actually went for some counselling and she came back from the first session of counselling. She said, Graham, I think you should go for counselling.
2: Yeah.
1: And so I said, well, yeah. said, so I, I, I've never talked about my childhood. I would sort of put it all in a box and put it somewhere yes. out of the way. And not, I never, never spoke about it. So I, I, I spoke to her about it. Yes. Never really talked about it. I just, you know, that's that's in the past. You know, we we'll put that in a box and we'll leave it on the shelf. And um, so, luckily, my employer at the time they were very you know, forward thinking. They, I went to my boss and I said, um, I'd like to go for some counselling. And he said, What for? And I said, Well, I have got a few issues. And he said, But he said, you're a model employee. Mm. He said you're always at work. He said we never have any trouble with you. He said you do loads of overtime. He said you're, as far as I'm concerned, he was my sort of senior manager. He said we have. He said there's nothing wrong with you. He said if everybody was like you, we wouldn't have any problems, you know. And I said, well, maybe you could use the thing as a bit of a reward for that then. Yes. Yeah. Because I'm not taking time off sick, and I he said, well, I'll have to talk to the HR manager, so he went and spoke to the HR manager, the HR manager who So I went, I went to see this wonderful lady in North London and um, everything just came tumbling out. Oh,
2: of
1: course it would. <laughs> everything, just everything that I've been sort of, I've never spoken to anybody oh, about, so I thought to myself, well, I'm just going to tell her absolutely everything and i told her i told her stuff that i've never told anybody else before or since wow and um it was like a, it was like a weight was lifted yes
3: of course
1: and then i realized you know i, had, I actually went to see her or, for two years
0: fantastic
1: and the first six months the company paid for and then they said look you know we can't really afford we can't really justify paying for this anymore um so i said to her that i don't know how much you charge but how much would you charge me if i came to see you independently
3: yes
1: and she you know she made the heart-shaped decision to say pay me what you can afford wow so i don't know how much you charged for a, a session this was, in, this was in the um 1994 five something like that um i bet, i used to pay her 20 pounds for an hour Wow. and I'm sure, I'm sure she got paid a lot more than that yeah. for her because she was an expert in, in, in um, ptsd
0: fantastic
1: which is what i knew because she said i had ptsd from my childhood yes and i just i just i just put it on the, in the box and put it on one side my so um yeah so that that kind of, and then so that with that i got the i, I became i kind of understood for the first time that I was okay. It's okay to be who you are. And I thought, well, I'm, 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 in this marriage, I'd actually lost myself. Yes. I, I was being what, I was trying to be what somebody else wanted me to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I realised that it was making me very unhappy. Mm-hmm. So, I I eventually left that marriage and went off, lived off on my own again. Um, and, uh, Yeah, you know, and then I had, you know, I did, funny enough, immediately after that, my career took off and I got offered a job in training and development. Literally within months of leaving my wife, I was offered this new job and a new, completely new career path, which I've been on ever since.
3: My goodness.
1: Um, So, you know, I say, I mean, what I say to people when I do talks and that kind of thing is, you know, you have to be prepared to make these difficult decisions sometimes and you have to you know, sometimes you have, to, you have to do what feels right for you. Yes. Because so many people live their lives to please other people. Yes. Um, in all sorts of areas, you know, particularly, you know, I mean, I go to schools and I talk to young people and I say, you know, the decision, I was talking to a group of um, year sevens a couple of, two or three weeks ago. I had six, I had six groups of year sevens, one after the other. And... Um, I was saying, you know, I said to them, no one said this to me when I was 11 and 12 years old. I said, but I wish they had. Yeah. I said, no one said to me that the decisions you make now are actually going to shape your life. Yes. And it's not, you know, it's not too, you're never too young to make heart-shaped decisions.
0: Not at all.
1: Yeah. So, well, yeah, so then, you know, I got, um, but yeah, bringing the story up to date, I mean, I was on, you know I've, I've found a lot of joy in my work over the years i've you know i've really enjoyed i love helping other people to develop their, themselves and to be you know, to be who they're capable of being um, so i've done a lot of that kind of work and then through somebody i met through work i was uh, four and a half years ago i was in birmingham uh, where i now live and um, a friend of mine who i knew i knew through work and one or two other things beginning she actually got me involved in volunteering as well which is another whole aspect of my life i've done a lot of volunteering with homeless people and that kind of thing um she said she said i'll oh, come around when you're in birmingham she said come around for dinner one night so i went around to her house for dinner um in Mar- march 2017 and she invited her next door neighbour in that evening to have, you know, just to, because she, um, she, they both maintain that they knew nothing about, it wasn't a setup; it was just a coincidence. Oh, right. And her neighbour is now my partner for the last four and a half years. Fantastic. <laughs> that, was, that was a harsh, because I've kind of given up, no, I've kind of thought to myself, i would accepted the fact that, you know, I was single and it was okay. And I was going to live the rest of my life, on, you know, seat as a Oh, You know, I had a good social circle, lots of activities I'm involved in. I thought, you know, I couldn't manage without the, a partner. And then the lady I'm with now came into my life. And um, I'm, she's probably listening downstairs because she's actually with me so that's good in the house today. But <laughs> um, So, yeah, so it's just, you know, it's just, so I had... And the heart-shaped decision there was, you know, to, I thought because she's younger than me, she's she's very attractive, and but we just had like a, a spark between us,
0: wonderful,
1: right from the start. And I just said to her, you know, can I? Would you mind if I kept in touch with you? And we we then spent a lot of time on the phone, and we met up again. And um, I, eighteen months ago, I I moved ninety miles to be closer to her. And that was a, that was a heart-shaped decision. So you're never too old to make you're never too old to make a heart-shaped decision.
0: And not by the sounds of it, and not too young or too old ever to make a heart. No, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely,
1: No, it's not it's not about age. It's about making that decision that makes that feels right. Because so many people make decisions with their head and their lo- logic. I mean, I'm probably I'm probably I allow myself to be carried away by my heart sometimes. But you know, it's, it's taken me it's to some very interesting places.
0: I hear you. Yeah, so you've answered one of my first questions about what is in heart-shaped decision. So my follow-up question to that is, how can, because most of my entre- or my audience would be entrepreneurs, yeah. heart-centered entrepreneurs. Yeah. How can entrepreneurs make heart-shaped decisions on the daily?
2: Well,
1: I think, you know, the word entrepreneur for me conjures up somebody who's just interested in money. Yeah. That's. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, you know, it's an I know people that are entrepreneurs, and they, you know, you think all that person is really interested in is actually amassing as much, work, as much financial wealth as possible. Right. And familiar heart shaped, heart centered entrepreneur. Yes. Somebody who is in business to make a difference to other people. Yes, absolutely. To help, <laughs> to help and support other people. Absolutely. And, you know, I think if you, I think if you do that, then, yeah, you know, I, I I don't like this expression very much because it's overused, but people say, yeah, you know, if you do the right thing, the universe will bring you what you need. True. And I, I have found, um, I was in a, a place in my life, probably about um, three, four, maybe five years ago, where I was spending about a third of my time working for money a third of my time volunteering for various different organisations to help, you know, underprivileged people and homeless people and that kind of thing, and a third of my time going on holiday and doing stuff that I like doing,
2: mm.
1: and that just seemed like the right balance for me. Yes. it felt good. It felt like really a good period. I would like to get back to that balance. Yes. Well, you know, I do something. I mean, I'm happy to. I'm getting involved with the local community where I live now. Now we can actually go out and meet people again, you know, I'm getting involved in a few community activities that, that help other people. Um, and, you know, I'm, look, I'm looking to help particularly young people and people in danger of going into um, a life of crime or... people. You know, people don't have confidence and self-esteem, because as a child, I had no confidence or self-esteem at all. Mm. And I really want to help other young people not to have to experience that. Yes.
3: Yes. And that's, you
1: know, you have to put, I mean, people say to me, you know, do do we have to pay you? And I say, yes, because I have to put food on the table. Yes. (laughs) Um, You know, I can't exist on fresh air. But (laughs) um, I have bills to pay and I have to put food on the table just like anybody else does. Yes. Absolutely, um, but yeah, there's, there's a certain amount of work that, I've, that I'm happy to do without payment because to see, you know, to see young people growing
0: mm.
1: and developing and learning to make those sort of heart-shaped decisions is, is actually worth more than money. Yes,
3: absolutely. I, I, so I
1: think, yeah, heart, heart-centered entrepreneur is not money is not the number one objective of, uh, of having that business. For me, that that is what a heart centered entrepreneur would
0: think. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I find heart-centered entrepreneurs are people with hearts for people or like yes. want to make a difference in the world, you know. Mm-hmm. And and unfortunately, you know, in many ways, um, you know, I fortunately, unfortunately, <laughs> I don't know which one it comes first, you know, <laughs> money doesn't always come into it for them. But I find that it is an important aspect that um, a lot of heart-centered entrepreneurs have to work on, in that it's okay to receive money for your heart-centered work. You know what I mean? But it's like, but but like you say, it's like very often it's either one or the other. You're either a money-grabbing entrepreneur or a serving entrepreneur. And but you can have a nice balance and, and be well yeah. for your heart-centered work and, you know, yeah, by serving others, yeah.
1: That's where I am at the minute, because, I, you know, I, I have finally got to the point now where I am, you know, in, in, I am quite happy to ask for, okay, so if you want me to do this, this is what it's going to cost you.
3: Yes.
1: Without, without sort of sounding apologetic.
3: Yes, good.
1: I'm, because, I'm going yes. to throw
0: in this question. I don't think to ask this question. How do you feel... <laughs> How closely is that related to you discovering and starting to know your own value as a human? Well, I
1: think yeah, I think it is because you know the stuff that you're told when you're a child, no matter how much therapy and whatever else you have, no matter how many you know personal development books and you read and courses you go on, and believe me, I've done a lot of that. Um, the stuff you know there is still it's, it's almost inevasable. And when you're when you're brought up, you know, you're actually told that you're a miserable sinner and you're not worth anything yes. at a very young age. Yes. It's very, very difficult to erase that. Now. You don't realise. Sometimes, you know, I say I say things, and I and I think to myself, that's the sort of five-year-old me coming back.
3: Yes.
1: You know, the little boy who used to stammer when anybody spoke to him. Yes. I mean, the idea. I you know I say to people when I talk to young people I say um, or even older people I say that yeah the very idea that I could be a professional speaker and get on the stage in front of like two hundred people and speak for forty five minutes confidently and have you know have a bit of humour in there and actually feel good about it yes is, I mean if you'd said to me well, even when I was in my twenties and thirties that I would ever do that that would not because I still wasn't a very but I wasn't a very confident person. Um, actually, Toastmasters helped me with that a lot.
0: Yes, yes. I remember you said from our last conversation. You know, over,
1: I have quite a few years in, as a member of Toastmasters. And that, you know, the idea that, um, you know, I'll, I'll never I'll never be on, on that big stage. And then you meet the people who are on that big stage. Well, they're no different to me. Um I'm, they're just a, a normal person, you know. So, what, what's stopping me doing it? Absolutely. And so, I did get up on that big stage, you know, and, um, and confidently. And I can honestly say, I enjoy it. I enjoy that. I enjoy that, you know, the feeling of being it's not. It's not a kind of um, ego thing, because, you know, I think there's a very fine line between being confident and arrogant, and I would never want to cross that line. Yes. But, um, you know, confidence is a good thing.
0: But also, you know, uh, as you just said there, what I can really feel from you, and I imagine it's the same way when you're on stage, is that you don't talk from your head, which will be an ego place. You very much talk from your heart. Yeah. You talk from there, it can flow from us if we are yes. to our own selves and talk from that heart-shaped place, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah, we don't go into all those, the fear thoughts, the indoctrinated stories, the, you know, the things, the internalised messages that we got when we grew up. When we go and talk from that place, it's a very, very difficult place to Yeah. And to believe in yourself and all of that. But when we go to our hearts, we speak from a very, very different place.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's very much about, you know, what can I do for this audience? How can I engage with this audience, how can I give them something that they'll remember? And they might, come, they might come, you know, I was thinking to myself, I was talking to sort of 11 and 12 year olds, I've never done before, I was asked to go in and do, and I said, well, I've got, to, I've got to do something different here because they're not going to want to listen to my keynote all. No. <laughs> so I've got to engage them first. I've got to get them laughing and, you know, having a good time. And so I said, um, I started off by saying, how, how old do you think I am? And I've got all sorts of answers from sort of fifty-six up to a hundred and something. You know. <laughs> and they were all laughing. And I said, "Okay." So I think the person that was, uh, you know, I'm sixty-five. You know, and they, they, and they said, "I said you've probably got grandparents the same age as me." And they Yeah. Thought, yeah. <laughs> you know, they've got. And uh, so I said, "Okay." I said, "For the mathematicians amongst you, if I'm if I'm sixty-five, what year was I born in?" Oh. That got them think. I had to think about their mental arithmetic and that and the one or two of them actually didn't get it right. You know, Fantastic. But, <laughs> but yeah, you know, it was just about engaging with them and, and when you go and talk to an audience, and I'm sure, you know, and everyone listening, you know, you you have to it's not about you, it's about the audience. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, my goodness. Well, it's like two questions sure i still have for you before i let you go
2: okay
0: so what is next for graham frost
1: well what is next i mean i you know i, I just we have this you know i have my my lovely partner in my life now she's you know, she's well she has what i call a proper job you know she work, works works full time but it's just um in terms of life it's just about spending spending as much time as i can with her
2: Wonderful. We like
1: like to go away for weekends and just be together and stuff and it's really nice and completely unexpected and we like to surprise each other and that's personally, professionally, um, you know, really I want to help as many young people particularly as I can to learn how to make heart-shaped decisions for themselves and to have the lives that they can have because if I haven't made that heart-shaped decision at the age of 17, to leave home,
3: I would be, I mean, I would be very, very unhappy now, in fact, I might not even still be alive, I don't know, you
1: know. I wouldn't, well I wouldn't be alive, I would be alive physically,
2: mm.
1: but I wouldn't be alive spiritually, and I wouldn't be alive um, in my heart, it would just be going through the motions of, you know, all that stuff. Um, my One of my brothers told me that, uh, um, when after, after I left the family, my parents were actually chucked out of the church for a couple of years and he said that was the happiest time of my childhood because I didn't have to go, I didn't have to go to church all the time. We used to have, yeah, we used to, have to go to church every night My
3: goodness.
1: and five times on a Sunday
3: <gasps>
1: and um, so he, yeah, he, he told me, he said, you know, he said um, that was, uh, but he, he, he stayed there and he got married and had five children. And, you know, in the end, he actually decided that he, his his mental health couldn't cope with it anymore. Yes. But he, had to leave his whole, he had to leave his whole family behind.
3: My goodness.
1: At the age of, yeah, in his 50s.
3: My goodness, wow.
1: You know, there's, there's a lot of stories out there. I mean, the, other, the other thing is, of course, one of the things that's happened because of the internet and everything else is that um, I now know a lot of other ex-members of that church who... You know, I spent I spent the first I never never entered my head that there would be any other ex-members. You know, I just got on with my life, and eventually the internet came along in the late nineties, and I got on the internet and found that there's all these people out there that have been through the same experiences.
3: My goodness, yeah, so whole so new one. belonging in
0: a way. <laughs> yes,
1: yeah, so I've got I've got that kind of, I've got that sort of friendship group. That's all. all I don't see that much of them, but you know. Yeah. We we sort of meet, a a group of us meet up every so often and, um, you know, talk about really how far we've actually come in most cases. And we, you know, we're also there to support other young people who might want to leave.
3: My goodness. Yeah. Mm. Fascinating.
0: So, I don't know if you'll be able to do this, but when you look back at all the heart-shaped decisions on your path, you know, uh-huh. you look back onto your story, which one is really lit up today for you? It's like when you look back at it and go, it's like, if it wasn't for that one, then you know oh, well, really most lit up on your path. <laughs> most
1: definitely, if it hadn't been for the decision, if I if I hadn't made the heart shaped decision to leave home at 17, okay. none, none of the rest of it would have happened.
3: Yes. I
1: agree. Um, no, I mean you know, and then the most recent one was the know uh, the um moving to where i live now and I, I have become a little bit stagnant where i was living before i've been in the same house for 20 years yes. um and i just had kind of outlived the place where i was living and i had i still have friends there i can still go back there and see them occasionally but it was time to um it was time to make a it was time, to, and i'm very very happy where i am and so yeah i think um and you know who knows what the next heart shaped decision I might?
0: be <laughs> Watch this space. <laughs> this heart-shaped space.
1: <laughs> you, have, you have to keep. You have to keep. Uh, you have to keep moving on. I mean, somebody once said, I don't know it was, that I heard this talk once, uh, quite a few years ago, and somebody said that you're either growing or dying. Yes. As any any kind of living creature or plant or whatever you you know, if you look in the garden. Things are either growing or they're dying and human beings are like that as well True. so you have, to, you have to keep growing in some you have to keep developing you know ne- you never actually get there wherever there is because whenever you get there there moves
0: <laughs> i love it you speak my language graeme frost i love it <laughs> <laughs> i so agree with you yes mm. and we never quite get there because there's always another level when we, yeah, you know, we thought we wanted to be yeah absolutely yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree. And I, I very much have an affinity with, um, with learning from nature and the cycles in nature, you know, yeah. the fact that there is this spring, there's summer, there's autumn, there's winter, there's spring. And so is it with our lives, you know, those, absolutely. those little, I suppose, moments in our lives in different ways. And there's death and rebirth always. Yes. Yeah, and and even,
1: you know, even, even, even relationships, you know, I mean, People think, you know, that well, I don't know what people think, but yeah, you know, I, I had this, I had this unreasonable expectation that, that you know, relationships are supposed to be all sort of hearts and flowers all the time, and it actually it's not like that at all.
3: No, for sure. Yeah,
1: yeah, but you have, you have to, you have to enjoy the good times. Yes. Value and enjoy the good times, but you, you know, but, but any type of relationship, it's like, it's like jobs, you know. I mean, people, even being self-employed. I've been self-employed from yeah for about 10 years and there's been there's been highs and lows you know and you're not going you're not going to be on a high all the time
0: definitely not
1: <laughs> you, have, you have to remember the highs and you have to say okay so what you know what did I do yes you have to you have to find a way out of the lows and I, you know I've got I've got so I've got strategies for that kind of thing you know and if I'm if I'm not having a very good day, I think to myself, Do you know what? I'm just going to go for a walk. yeah
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic. So coming back home to yourself. Yeah. You know, you know, <clears throat> in those lows as well. Yeah. And yeah. knowing as well that the only way is up. Now, <laughs> when we're at the bottom of the low, <laughs> the only way. So, up so,
1: up. I mean, yeah. This past year has, I mean, it's been difficult for everybody. I yes. mean, you know, it's actually really nice to get back to you know i saw one of my best friends on saturday for the first time in um probably about 18 months or m- maybe a bit longer you know i've known i've known this guy for uh, 25 years you know and um, we met on holiday on a greek island in okay. 1995 or six and you know it, it, so yeah we've kind of Kept stayed in touch ever since then, and you know, he's, I actually live quite close to him now, where I am now. So yeah, it's really, really. Good. But it's one of those people that you just almost like carry on the conversation you were having before. Yes. And yeah, you, know, you need people like that in your life.
0: Heart connections. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Well, Graham, it has been such a massive pleasure again to hear your story and. There's been so many golden nuggets in our conversation uh, that I know people will get loads out of, and like I say, we definitely speak the same language in different terms, um, definitely. Mm-hmm. And um, so I really appreciate you coming on today, into onto the Let's Get Into It Coaching Podcast.
1: And yeah, also,
0: well like like I said, I will leave your um, contact details in the show notes and okay. also a, a copy of the ebook the heart-shaped decisions evil for people to download and read your story in even more detail so uh, it's been such a pleasure and sending you lots of heart-shaped vibes <laughs> your way yeah. for your journey ahead and yeah,
1: back at you as well thank
0: you so much yeah it's been a real pleasure and uh, yeah so all the best for the next heart-shaped decisions you're taking
1: thank you very much bless you thank you
0: Thank you for joining me on this episode of the Let's Get Into It Coaching podcast. I just loved sharing with you today. And I truly believe that our intuition is one of our most important tools to help guide us on our journey through life. Join me again on the next episode when we will talk about more ways we can increase our intuitive intelligence. This is your host, Joanne McMillan from joanne.ie. And until next time, let's stay into it.